Welcome back to Not Too Busy to Write. I'm Penny Windsor. Cara Giles is a writer based in the northeast of England, whose first book, Twelve Moons, tells the story across a year of raising four daughters alone in a wild and isolated part of the country. It's an incredible memoir about caring, isolation, rediscovery, and the joy found in tiny pockets of time. Cara and I talk about how the pandemic totally changed her framework for this book, the challenges of writing whilst caring, and an incredibly beautiful idea that this book was a way for Cara to be able to put herself back in the foreground after years of mothering, divorce, and the challenges of life raising a neurodivergent family. It is really rare for me to read a book involving motherhood that I can relate to in any way. And this book had me both weeping with recognition and so filled with joy and hope for those of us who are, for whatever reason, experiencing a very challenging and intense kind of motherhood. 12 Moons is out now and there is a link in the show notes. If you enjoy the podcast, please do follow and leave a rating and a review. It really does help others to find us. Enjoy the episode. It's so great to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, Penny. Um, let's just dive straight in. Um, your memoir, Twelve Moons, is written in. It was written in real time. It's set over 2021. Um, it was a really difficult time for you. Um, the beginning of the year, when the book begins, your eldest is very unwell. Um, and I guess I wanted to start by asking: At what point, when you were writing? Did you realize what you were putting down was a book? Um, so the story of 12 Moons, the journey of a woman on her own trying to find herself and the reality of caring for many children, that story had been something I had been trying to articulate uh, for several years and was going to be written under another guise, really. Um, as a long distance run I was going to do um, through the borders and into Northumberland but then lockdown happened and my daughter's illness happened and I had to think of another way to hang that story Um, and I think I think I knew almost immediately I started the book that it was going to be the book so it, it started quite organically um, one evening I was watching um, my daughter's dancing on the landing and you know when the moon's so bright that it casts a glow inside hmm. well, so that was happening and so it was a really beautiful image and she was spinning and dancing and it's how the book opens and that next morning I got up and wrote that moment and I think it was a combination of that piece of writing just working and me beginning that discipline of getting up every morning early to write that meant that that little bit of writing became the story that I had been wanting to write for for some time. Um, So it was a combination of kind of being inspired by that moment, a big buildup of me thinking about how can I tell this story, Mm. um, the urgency of needing to to tell my story because I felt very confined and that writing discipline. So they all came together, I think, to create something really helpful for me. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I hadn't realized that initially it had, it had, you had planned a totally different form for it, although this with the same elements. That's so interesting. And there, and running does come into it a little bit throughout the book. And actually, I really enjoyed those bits so much. Um, the running, 
maybe perhaps especially because those were these tiny moments of pockets of time where you were actually alone in the book and not um, looking after somebody else. Um, because even when you're doing lots of other things, swimming and other things, you you tend to have at least one of your girls with you, don't you? Yeah, always. Um, I tend to have some of the, uh, you know, some proportion or all of the children with me. <laughs> and so I think those running bits were lovely. Even now I have one hour each week only, which is for me. And that is when I go running and I pound the streets or I pound the fields or wherever I am and I think probably within because there's a sense of claustrophobia within the book within the story I'm telling as well I think those moments of relief where um I am not feeling claustrophobic and I am outside and I am free were really necessary just to give the reader a bit of respite as well from the intensity of the times I'm inside the house with the children yeah and that's what's really I wanted to ask you about that as well there is um like you say a, a quite a feeling of claustrophobia unsurprising for any listener to hear it is set in 2021 the beginning of which was very challenging for everyone we're entering another lockdown it was the middle of winter we were already very all exhausted from what had happened in 2020 and you had the additional um um stresses of being on your own with four children one of whom was very unwell Mm-hmm. So there is that feeling of claustrophobia, but at the same time, the there's so much nature and expansiveness in the book. And I guess I I wanted to talk to you about this idea of nature writing and and what it does for you and why why you write about nature specifically. Is it because you get those, I guess, an expansiveness that you that sort of I guess balances out some of the claustrophobia? Yeah, I think there are lots of reasons why I use nature often as a starting point for my writing so with 12 moons I was I became quite obsessed with this phrase which was claustrophobia in the middle of nowhere I found it a bit ironic that I live very very remotely not not really through choice kind of more through circumstance I live really remotely in one of the wildest parts of the country yet often I am confined and I really wanted to explore that through the book and thankfully as lockdown um lessened and as my daughter um became a bit better I was able to be outside more but I think um the nature writing really started um when my children were really really tiny and I spent lots of time outside with them and I wanted to try and put myself into the foreground somehow which is what my book is about I wanted to write about myself and how I felt but I always had my children with me but lots of the time we spent together was outside and it was the best thing really about about being um, in a difficult situation on my own was having access to that environment and I was trying to find a way to fall in love with my life when it felt so very difficult and I think the beautiful landscape around me Mm. has been something that has helped me um, through a tricky time so I guess that's how the nature writing started was that my kids were really into being outside I was outside with them and that was my life and always I think when I have been writing I've been writing about my life it started off as a blog about home educating the kids about moving to the wilderness Um, And always that seems to have been like a natural way for me to express myself and to be creative. Mm. And then with that, there is, you know, despite all these challenges, because there are a lot of challenges in this year that you write about, as well as your daughter's illness, you're Mm. also going through a divorce that year. Um, And obviously just the impact um, of um, COVID restrictions on all of us. 
as well. It's a really challenging year, but it's some somehow it is still there's so much magic, so much magic in just these tiny little, perhaps even what you might consider mundane moments. And you know, aside from the running, one other one other recurring thing that I loved and I was always excited to read was the school run. And I know this sounds <laughs> this might sound strange to a reader who hasn't read Caro's book yet, but um, but they are absolutely magical moments where there's music often conversation sometimes there's even just quietness even though all of the girls are with you um there's there's lots of searching for things and connection there was seemed to be in those moments in the book such a sense of connection and magic yeah and I think um that's interesting the idea of looking for magic in the mundane and that's a theme um that I write about again and again I think um I think when you're when your life becomes something different to what you had envisaged to what you had expected um when you are confined through illness through caring whatever whatever the reason um it becomes really important to find those tiny moments of light or of magic in days which can be dark and difficult and I think that um might be another reason why I was drawn to nature writing or writing about nature I I, I find the term nature writing a little bit problematic because um it's such a broad term, really. So broad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm not a nature writer uh, in the sense that I know lots of things about nature. Um, and I know some people as well find it problematic when people explore um, their own personal experience through nature. Um, but I find it to be um, just a way of, of of taking myself out of my life and just being able to dream a bit. And I find that quite magical, um, I th- I think nature writing is is there for anyone. I just think it means different things to different mm. people. It's kind of an unhelpful term. Um, I don't want to be boxed into that, but certainly, um, yeah. My my master's taught me a lot of a lot, lot about that as well. I don't know whether you wanted me to um, yeah, talk a bit about you're... why I chose that master yeah. specifically. Um, so I've just finished doing a, a a master's in nature and travel writing at Bath Spa University. Um, I'd wanted to do a master's in uh, creative nonfiction or creative writing, life writing, something like that, but I couldn't access anything um, unless it was virtual. And Bath Spa um, have a virtual nature and travel writing course that that I could do while still caring for my children because I could do the lectures whilst they're sitting on my knee or mm. <laughs> get up early to write and do this that, and the other. I didn't have to be anywhere. Um, when I spoke to Stephen, who runs the course, I explained that I really wanted to do life writing. I'm not a nature writer. I'm not a travel writer. And he said, really, nature and travel writing is just place writing. Mm. And I found that a really good way of framing it because it just meant you can still write about anything, Caro. You can write about Northumberland. You can write about anywhere you've been. Anywhere is a place. Anywhere um, is nature or travel. And so, yeah. yeah, that made so it was more for me, it was more about the access of the course rather than thinking specifically, I'm going to be a nature writer. My writing is going to come under a nature writing umbrella. Mm. Oh, that's so interesting. And I love that. I love the way he describes that because r- writing about place, I mean, gosh, all kinds of life writing come comes under that. Um, and I'm sure that writing about place will take you in all sorts of interesting directions, even if that is the kind of way you like to frame what it is that you write about. 
I mean, it's all it's all just words, isn't it? It's all just names. It's um, yeah. write what you write. What worked for me really was the structure and the fact that it was a really industry based course as well. So it meant that I was meeting lots of people who were um, really supportive and helpful in terms of advancing my career as a writer. So, and in terms of those initial ideas, your initial thoughts about um, framing the story around a run, was that, that was something you were developing during your MA, was it? That was something that I talked about before my MA and that was going to be the plan. That was what I was Mm, going to write. And then we went into into lockdown. Um, So I couldn't do that. Um, That's maybe something I'll still do though. I'm still really interested in exploring, continuing to explore these, like these themes of fear and isolation and being Mm. alone and something about running on my own was supposed to be kind of addressing that fear as it turned out there was enough fear and drama (laughs) happening anyway inside of your house (laughs) without me having to run through you know the wilderness on my own but it's still something I'd really like to explore and I really love to combine um, being outside with my creative practice as well. Yeah, that sounds amazing it's something I've wanted to do for so many years probably actually since I've become a parent maybe that's it. Maybe it's that when you're very anchored, very, very anchored in place, um, that sort of desperate search for freedom. I've been quite desperately wanting to go and do a point to point walk, not run, not necessarily a run out in the wilderness, but a walk, you know, where you carry everything with you and yeah. you stop every night. Um, cause I've, I've done lots of walking over the years, but I've always done circular walks. I've always come back to the same place and I've never done a point to point. So it is my absolute dream at some point, you know, to do like seven days or 10 days where you're just carrying all your stuff with you and you just go, maybe not a tent. I might stay in like little walking places on the way. Hostels or something. Hostels. And There's exactly. something really nice about doing um, a linear a linear journey, isn't there? Yeah. And, and propelling yourself forward and moving yourself forward. And that was part of the idea behind doing the run as well, was that the arc of the narrative might work yeah better with me going from a to b and actually um going following the moons through the year meant that there were there was a narrative and there was an arc in a different way but I find it so so interesting one of the things I I talked about a lot on my master's with my tutors and colleagues was just this idea that you can hang a story on anything it's just how you how you want to frame it and I I'm a bit obsessed with that I just think that's such an interesting and magical thing that you can have an idea but it could you know, you could do so many different things with it. Well, this is so interesting because I'm in this very, very tiny kernel stages of thinking about the next story that's um, that I want to write, the next fiction story I want to write. And, um, and I'm in that phrase, I mean, exactly that phase of thinking about, well, where, where do I want to hang it? I kind of got an idea about what I do, but where I want to hang it. And it's such a, it's such an exciting part of the process, isn't it? Yeah. I think the, when, when you're in the really early stages of thinking, what will you write next? That's a really, it's both a really scary place to be, but also quite a satisfying place to be, isn't it? Because you you can just kind of sit with ideas and see how they feel. And then gradually things will fall in, fall into place it's uh it's funny having having written one book and knowing I I have managed to write one book um it's funny to think about starting again because it, it still feels as hard I think the the second time or the third time oh I'm probably. completely terrified I mean I'm, I'm I've already started my next nonfiction, but um and I've just finished one novel and I I want to start the next one soon so I feel like, and every time I hear a writer speak about this, I feel like it's probably true for almost everybody, but it's not going to get less scary. It's just not going to. I mean, I think we'll probably get a bit better at trusting ourselves that 
we've done it before and we can do it again but I don't think it's gonna get less scary no, somehow it gets less scary but I, I also think that you do learn techniques yeah once you've done it once um you you know I guess there, you must have a sense that you've done it once and you can do it again but also yeah it's just about getting the words down isn't it and keeping going there there's not there's not a shortcut yeah there isn't a shortcut I think that's what it is isn't it there just isn't a shortcut no matter what we think um the we will have to sort of essentially go through the process from start to finish. Even if we're better at it, we'll still have to go through it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I also wanted to kind of talk a little bit about writing about motherhood as well. There was so much in 12 Moons that I completely related to as a mother in a not dissimilar situation to you, although I'm in a very urban situation. <laughs> but in other ways, we're in we're in kind of many, we have some a lot of similarities in our families. Um there it was there's not it's not often, and I don't know how you feel about this, it's very rare for me to pick up a book where I see a kind of motherhood that I can relate to. And this is definitely one of them for me. I very much related to it. And it's it's almost kind of like it's kind of both beautiful and painful to see your own experience reflected back on you. And I guess I just wanted about like, you know, the kind of situations we're in as mothers and carers, do you, is part of that desire to see a story out in the world that reflects something that is closer to your own reality? Yeah. And I really, um, like the best thing that anyone can say to me is that they, can relate to the story or the tip they see themselves in it I I think I think 12 moons has been an act of um seeking validation for the way my family looks and the way my family is um the way my family has to be how in in many ways we're on the edge of society in terms of education and setup location uh, you know neurodivergence all those things we we're different in lots of ways so I think I've been looking for a way um, to pin our identity firmly to something mm-hmm. pin it to the page and what will be um, and also I think I've been looking for a way to connect with people um, who have similar experiences and in, and I guess in many ways that's an act of validation as well isn't it wanting to wanting to know that we're not alone, wanting to know that we are doing our best in challenging circumstances. Um, But um, I have found it to be really uh, difficult and exposing and and a a huge creative challenge to be able to tell a mother's story um, whilst protecting everyone, Mm, protecting everyone's identity. That's been a massive challenge for me. But... I feel really strongly that mothers and carers stories need to be told and need to be heard and there have to be ways of ways to do that. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree and and you came up you've come up with, you know, various ways of protecting your children's identity. You never mm. refer to them by name. They have pseudonyms that are just wonderful and very descriptive. <laughs> um but also we get a sense of your girls very much, but you don't disclose private information about them either, which, um, so you've done a really marvelous job of protecting them. 
But I totally agree. I I know I've heard people say they don't think mothers and carers should ever speak about their experience, literally ever. I've heard people say that to me because they think um, that because people or other people are involved, then they're not allowed to tell that story. And I just find that so mind-blowing, this idea that, you know, mothers and carers are some of the most vulnerable people in our society because they do the most unpaid work than anyone else. And this idea that, you know, this will basically just continue that unpaid, you know, people doing unpaid work will just have to continue doing that unpaid work as long as they remain silent. Um, and they won't get the support that they need if they remain yeah, silent as well. And I, and I just think I don't want to be brushed under the carpet and I don't want my experience to be brushed under the carpet and, and be, I already feel that I have to be behind doors that I that when my children are unable to attend school, I don't have that contact with people on the school run. Mm. That when other people are going out to restaurants, I can't do that because it's too difficult, it's too challenging. That when other people are going on holidays or going out for a drink, I can't do that because I can't get appropriate childcare. I already feel like I'm kept behind a door, that I am kept in my place. And mm. I feel really strongly that more people need to understand what it is like when your family does not fit in a box. And importantly as well I think it is possible to tell a story because this is my story 12 means is my story it's not my children's story I'm talking about what it is like to be a mother what it is like to be a carer what it is like to learn to be on my own and my children are part of that story but I'm not speaking for them yeah not saying oh this is how my child felt when this happened I'm saying this is my experience of parenting this child this is this is what it is um and for me that's valid and other people will may take issue with that and that and that that will be their right to do that but I I I feel like my voice needs to be out there and other people's Mm. voices need to be out there who have similar experiences I feel I felt reading it um and this is probably partly why I related to it quite a lot almost like a simmering sense of of wanting to be disobedient, like wanting to defy expectations, which which I loved and which I totally related to this idea of like, you know, why should we be shut away completely? Obviously, we both do what we need to do to um, support our children's needs as best they are. <laughs> but beyond that, why should our voices be be shut away? Yeah, and I think the it's a constant battle between being trapped in a system which is often not really fit for purpose, um, but being required to toe the line and to attend appointments and to do all the things that we're told we have to do that are the best thing for our children. And between actually being the people who know best what our children need and knowing that that is not available. So so it's a it's the kind of having to be compliant. Mm-hmm. and what people expect a mother and a carer to be and actually a lot of the time feeling very very angry and undermined um I just feel like there's a constant tussle between those two sides of my of my being that's definitely in the book I don't know whether mm-hmm. you experienced that as a, as a parent yeah. carer too but it's it's a juggle isn't it between yeah. between those two different women <laughs> Yeah, it's true. And, you know, we were just talking before we started recording, I've got a social worker coming around to the house this afternoon and I'm like looking around the house going, oh God, okay, I've got to straighten everything up and I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And then, you know, are they going to see what I want them to see? Are they going to see something different? And 
this idea, you know, I had this flash this morning of like, oh, imagine being in a family that doesn't have to have professionals come into your house. Like imagine being that family. How amazing. And yeah. actually, as, we, as I get to um, around the publication of the book, like the reality of being a single parent carer with four children and trying to promote a book. Well, that's an interesting thing because people think you can just be somewhere or you know, I still haven't got childcare sorted for um, various events that I'm doing and I don't know how I'll be there. I just will be there and somehow I'll be there. But lots of people don't have to think about that. And I really hope as well that books like this and this like, amazing opportunity I've got to to share this story will mean that publishing will become a more inclusive place and that mm. people will think about other ways to to promote books and to write and to all of that type of stuff because it's still a really um, not a level playing field. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, recently as well, there's been a lot of push to pushback, especially from disabled writers about how we gained a lot actually during the lockdowns of access. Yeah. And we're, we're very quickly losing all of this access again. A lot of events that were virtual um, or hybrid went, yeah. to, went to hybrid, which was fantastic. But now they're um they're not seeing the high numbers of course that they were seeing in the middle of lockdowns of course because people have various options and so they're sort of looking at these things and thinking well is it really worth it um and it's something that as you know when you have disabled family members you're constantly up against this idea of like well a service is telling you well we don't think it has value because only a few people use it it's like oh well only a few people do need it. That's called access. That's yeah. yeah, exactly. It has value. We've experienced that with quite a few things since COVID that we've lost some things that um, that apparently don't have the numbers anymore to be able to continue. Um, but yeah, so it is, it's just another way in which publishing needs to really um, think very carefully about whether or not it really genuinely wants to be inclusive or not. And yeah. inclusive means inclusive of all kinds of um, of family situations and yeah. disabilities as well. That's why my um, master's was so good and why it was so inclusive and why, and it's shocking really that there weren't more for me to choose, were many more for me to choose from. So that's the type of thing where um, if I can have a tiny platform, having written this book to, to raise awareness of that, that type of, you know, those types of issues, I'll be, I'll be really delighted. That'll be a good outcome. Well, let's talk a bit about the publishing process for you. Mm. Um, am I right in thinking that you had written was it about, was it three quarters or was it the whole first draft when you decided to put together the proposal and 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 pitch it to agents? I think I'd written about 50,000 words. Yeah. Um, and then a part of my master's, I had to put together a mini proposal. So I'd done that. And then I was approached. Was I approached by someone before I wrote the proposal? I No, I think I decided I was going to put a proposal together. Mm. Yeah, after about 50,000 words, put that together. And I was that was a really good idea because then I had something to work with. It also gave me um, a bit more of an idea about where the book was going as well. Mm. So I found that a really, really, really useful process, learning about writing nonfiction proposals. Mm. And then after that... Um, you were appro- you were approached, weren't you, by your? So I had there was a bit a of a, a stray. Yeah. So what happened was I won a writing competition. I won the uh, BBC Country Farm New Nature Writer of the Year competition, and that raised my profile. And I was approached by um, Harper North, um, who asked who found my website and asked to if I had anything I could share. And I shared opening chapters, which they really loved. And then um, by then I had the proposal, so I sent that over as well. 
what it was either that way around or the other way around yeah <clears throat> chapters or proposal I can't remember which came first anyway I had quite a lot of stuff I could send out um and then I got the offer for the book deal so that was um a real roller coaster actually because everything happened in a funny order I was going to send the proposal out to, in fact I had sent the proposal out to an agent who turned it down um but then once I got the book um deal then I had several agents who were interested. So I'm very, very fortunate. Yeah. And it's um it's really interesting, isn't it? Because this is a little bit unusual that a publisher reached out directly to you. And it does a cap occasionally happen with people who have very high profiles. Um, but it's um but it's also really important to talk about because mm-hmm. this is why competitions are so fantastic and really help increase uh, a writer's platform because a, a winning a competition that has prestige and authority it can really open up some doors can't it yeah and it's just also what have you got to lose yes I remember writing the um entry for the country file competition really quite last minute the kids were all sitting around me on the bed as I was doing the last edit of it um I had three hours before the deadline um I was pleased with it but you know my life's busy and it wasn't like I'd spent three years on it I'd (laughs) worked on it and then I'd, I'd left it to the last minute to do another edit sent it off that was amazing that I won that um, but what I also did was um, quite early on I was quite bold about saying that I was writing a book and I owned that and I put it on my website that I was working on a book and it was kind of it was kind of a pipe dream that I was writing a book but I but because I'd said I was writing a book when my uh, publisher looked at my website she saw that and thought, okay, great, you know, this is something I can maybe work with. So I, I I, do really recommend, even if you have massive imposter syndrome and haven't even finished a book or anywhere near finished a book, it's 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 almost like holding yourself accountable. It almost makes it happen because you've said you'll do it. Um, I, I think that that was a useful thing to have done. Oh, that is such good advice. And I would, and even if you don't have a website, um, tell people if you're having conversations with people tell people you're working on a book I think this is so important I've been quite open about not when I first started writing again after many many years of not writing but but when I started writing a bit more seriously I started becoming a bit more open about telling people and it felt like a really important part of the process to kind of own what I was doing like I was asking other people to take it as seriously as I was taking it. And if I was taking it seriously, that meant I could set aside the right time to do it. It's like it all kind of became part of how I made it happen. Yeah, I definitely, there was definitely something about having the, um, I don't know, just the the mindset to think Mm. that this is what I'm doing and to, but it's a hard thing because it's hard to have the confidence to do that when it's something new when it's something you haven't done before and it can be quite a lonely existence can't it if you're just sitting with your laptop or your notebook <laughs> and you're writing but I really I really feel like I wanted to make it happen and mm-hmm. I think that did help did help to make it happen and ev- even with the work I'm doing now which is in really really baby stages I'm in the middle of promoting 12 moons and everything's really busy with the kids I still am saying tomorrow I'm gonna you know on social media I'm up at 5.30, I'm writing this, or I'm going to do this. And I'm trying to hold myself accountable. And there's a, there's a lovely community out there of other writers who, who want to be on that journey with you, who are, who want to join your journey and who are going through their own writing process. And I, and I, I I think that's something to really tap into. I have found that to be really helpful. I so agree. And I love seeing your posts and I'm going to put, um, Caro's, um, Uh, Instagram in the show notes, if anyone else wants to follow along, but there's something so helpful about 
constantly being reminded that you're not the only one sitting down and doing the work. Um, and that's obviously part of the reason I started the podcast, but Instagram has been so helpful for me for that reason as well. And for connecting with other writers. Um, and it seems like such a simple thing, but just knowing that you're not alone doing something and you're not crazy for doing it, even though you have so many other demands on your time and you could be finding a much easier way to make some money as well. Let's be honest. (laughs) There are other ways to make money. Um, that you just feel less crazy, basically, don't you? Yeah, when you're it's just surrounded about, by other it's about that connection, isn't it? I think it's about that connection with with other people. But definitely, um, to go back to the competition thing, definitely do it because also it's another piece of writing you've done, and it might turn into something else. And even other snippets that I'd done, I put on my blog, on my website. I use them for my portfolio, for my masters. Um, they their little bits became parts of chapters within twelve moons. You know, any bit of writing you do is still, you know, it's still a good thing you've done. It's still something positive you've done with your time, and you you never know. There are so many um competitions out there that are free to enter as well. Mm. Um, I really I really recommend that. It's worth for me. And it's also presumably was part of what led on to you becoming a columnist at Psychology's magazine as well. Yes. So part of the masters that I did was a um, we did a whole module on pitching and journalism and pitching and things like that, which is really horrific when you first start doing it. But I had pitched a, um, a feature to Psychology's, which eventually got accepted, and then um, the editor got back in touch with me and approached me about a column actually so I've had two really lovely bits of luck with my writing based on my hard work but still it's nice when people reach out to you um and that column um is lovely because it ties in really beautifully with the themes in 12 moons and it's been another way to connect connect with readers and Mm. job so in all aspects it's a great Yeah. yeah really fantastic and I think such a perfect example I know 12 moons happened really probably very quickly compared to a lot of other publishing. Um, And so the fact that you were building this um, bits of journalism and column writing on the side at the same time has been really vital because of how quick in a way that 12 Moons has happened. Yeah, but it has what has been really lovely about the whole of the I hate the word journey, but the whole uh, yeah, the whole journey of my writing is that it all ties in and fits in and is woven into my life in some way. Um, and so I've it's a it's a career I'm managing to make work for me. And truthfully, I have you know children who can't attend school, I have got no childcare, I wouldn't be able to go out to work. So mm-hmm. as much as it's a creative, like I have a creative urge to do this, I've always been creative. I also have a practical need to earn money and to work. And so, um, yeah, it's kind of I've created this bespoke career for myself that, that that you know, I'm proud of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something to be hugely proud of. And I think really the need to um, support a family in very specific circumstances, which both of us do, Mm-hmm. Um, it really is incredibly motivating when it comes to getting on with your career, isn't it? And I'd have to say in some ways, I'm sort of slightly grateful for having been forced into thinking, having to think very creatively about how I earn a living. Yeah. I think there's something about being really, really trapped <laughs> that makes you, you know, that forces you to be, that forces you to be creative. And actually, yeah. um, there's something about memoir as, you know, catharsis and as therapy, you know, there's a there's a bit of that, um, 
there's there's a there's a bit of that I think in the writing that I do but as much as anything it's just yeah it's finding something that works for you isn't it and something that your family as well can your kids can look up to you and you know be proud that you've you're achieving something and you're and you're living your life even though your life is is full of challenges Hmm. well tell me you've got a few events coming up for the book haven't you so yep let's um, so the book is out um on the 19th of january and i have an event at forum books in corbridge that evening um less remotely and in the middle of nowhere i'm at waterstones in newcastle on thursday the 26th of january would love to see anybody there who wanted to come and join the conversation around 12 moons and there's a fabulous new uh, literary festival quite locally to me in Northumberland called Annex Story Festival. And I'll be speaking there on the 25th of February and doing a um, like an interview and a workshop about finding time to write when your life is just spinning all around you and you're very busy. So really suitable for any kind of parents and carers or anybody with lots of um, other responsibilities. And then I'm also speaking on a nature writing panel with some other authors um, at that event as well. So that should be really nice. Oh, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. And I'll put um, links to that in the show notes. I'm sure lots of people will be interested in that. So for anyone up in the Northeast and perhaps towards Scotland who wants to go to that and can get there, um, have you um, have you read anything interesting lately that you want to talk about? Yes, I am in two different places in my reading. I'm very, very... Um, tired due to <laughs> children and book promotion so I'm looking for uh stories that will just let me fall into them and take, take me away from my own busyness so I've just finished reading Little Fires Everywhere by Celestine so I was a bit mm-hmm. late to the party on that one but had heard so many good things about it and found a second-hand copy and loved loved that and can't now wait to read her new book and perhaps to watch the mini series. I don't know whether that's supposed to be good mm, um, I haven't seen it actually No, I haven't, but I've heard it's quite good. So that's what I've been reading for relaxation. And I'm also reading Empire Land by Sathnam Sanghera because Mm. I'm researching my second book and thinking about ideas of um, colonialism and empire. So that's what I'm reading when my brain is not too tired, just to try and get myself into, yeah, get myself into a different different story place really a different a different world a very different Mm. world it's quite hard to get myself into a different world for a different book when I'm very much in 12 moons world um but yeah so so empire land is is interesting and is yeah informing my next next bit of writing what about you oh well I have um we're we're sort of not far off the back of Christmas holidays um as we're recording this and um over Christmas I do I do I do tend to, it's quite a tricky time for us. I do tend to kind of get very indulgent with my reading and just read like for really read for pleasure, like whatever I feel like. So um, one of the things I've read in the past couple of weeks that I just adored, which came out last year and it sort of skipped me by was, um, was Emma Straub's new book, This Time Tomorrow, which was just actually utterly delightful so if somebody's looking for something that feels really delightful um, I would really recommend it it's about a woman who turns 40 
Um, and her life is, you know, pretty stagnant, pretty tame, pretty stagnant. She hasn't really done anything particularly exciting with her life. Her dad is dying and she's very close with him. And, uh, she wakes up the day after her 40th birthday back in her 16 year old body and back with her dad and back with her friends and back in school. And, um, it's set in New York. So it's just like the most incredible sense of place, um, it's just delightful and oh, kind so- of a bit like fantasy as in like, oh, oh, imagine if that happened to me. Like, you know, it makes your mind go in all these crazy directions about like, how would I react? What would I do? What would I say to people? Who would I want to see? You know, all these kind of things. Anyway, it's, it's just, cool. it's really delightful. So if somebody needs a read that kind of transports them to New York in the 1990s, highly recommend fabulous I've just been bought um small things like these by Claire Keegan so I know everybody has read that and said it's the best book of the year so I'm really looking forward to um to tucking into that one as well well Cara thank you so much for chatting with me today 12 moons is just absolutely incredible like I said it's just it's so rare for me to feel so connected with a story like this one and it's just gorgeous and it just made me want to be up in the northeast as well um so thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us about it thank you so much for the conversation i've really enjoyed it thanks penny 